Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of our broadcast. Welcome back. Thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Let's talk football. Spring football is going on. And next Tuesday, Georgia's spring football will start. Let's talk with that about that and the Falcons, the NFL free agency that's coming up with Brent Rollins from both UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus. But I tell you, this this is just a fun time of the year, Brent, with college football getting going again. We're starting to see some spring practices start around the southeast and Man, it's going to be a bonanza, and I always love to get the word bonanza involved in the show, next Wednesday when free agency starts, won't it? Yeah, and I think the NFL and with recent sort of quarterback movement has kind of now trumped what used to, like the NBA used to own free agency or the Major League Baseball hot stove. I think the NFL now with as much quarterback movement as you have, these days has kind of trumped that with what they have. I agree. Well, Russ and I were saying that that same thing, that it's like the quarterback movement helps. When there is an all-season with a lot of quarterback movement, it seems to help the, just the interest. And, of course, you uh, have an older player like Aaron, Aaron Rodgers involved. That's going to help, too. All right, let, let's talk a, a little bit about Georgia's spring practice since it'll start before we talk to you the next time. Um Obviously, Kirby Smart has some different things to worry about or be concerned about or think about as he go in goes into the spring practice. One of his players was killed, so that is something that you know is going to have to be dealt with as far as how these players uh, take that field next Tuesday and do not have Devin Willick out there. But from a football standpoint, Brent, when when you look at this depth chart, there, there are going to be positions that are, we're going to be curious about to see all right, who's going to win this job, that job, so forth and so on. Does Kirby have anything to worry about, though? Uh, health. Yeah. Like, that, it's, it's, like, that's always – it's much like Major League Baseball spring training. Just get to the get to the finish line or the starting point, actually. Get to the starting line healthy. Like, I would – like, hey, Brock Bowers, you know, go on the side and ride the bike all spring. <laughs> you know, a lot of these guys that, like, you just, you know what you have. You don't need to see them in reps and in live, you know, what they do. But that's not how they roll. And they're going to be physical and they're going to practice physical. And, you know, we'll see. But, hey, if Brock, if you happen to you know, tweak the ankle a little bit, especially early in the spring, let's just let's shut her down and take it easy for the rest of it. So when, when you're looking at a quarterback competition – what do you think he's going to be watching for he and Mike Bobo together this in, in the next month? Mental. Everything mental. Mental from a understanding of the playbook, command of the huddle, leadership, everything ancillary to me to, to actually throwing the football or you know the, the act of doing those things. It's who's going to be the leader, who's going to be you know, who is the guy that the team responds to the most? Who's the person that can control the line of scrimmage the most and understanding of the playbook and putting the football in the, at least from a decision-making standpoint, I think that's all that matters. 
So what have you heard about how these three candidates, Beck, Van Griff, and Stockton, possibly can handle that? Uh, clean slate. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's quarterback and you know, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder oftentimes, with, especially with that position but in all of athletics, really. But having that clean slate, I think, is a big deal for all of it because versus you know the natural pecking order that existed with the previous coordinator, you know now that a new person is making that decision, there's a new energy to it. And I think it gives them all a chance, Every, you know, all three of them. I'll tell you, when you say that, the first thing that came to my mind is thank God Cedric Van Pran came back. I mean, that, that's got to be a stabilizing presence that will help whoever wins that job, right? Very much so. I mean, it's, a sta- it's a stabilizing presence for the entirety of the offense. Right. Yeah, I mean, if if they had had to sure. to get a and new smart player, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We, go ahead. You you just dipped out a minute. I'm sorry, Brent. Brent, go ahead. I have a no, having a known leader and a known player at that position is just key for your offense. No question. If they would have had to break in a new center and a new quarterback, I think I would have been more worried about anything that. <laughs> than even Kirby and, and Mike Bobo. Well, it's going to be fun. I, I think just the stuff we're going to hear about about the quarterbacks, I mean, it's been a been a while since we've had this kind of competition. I, I want to go back to 2015 when we didn't know what the heck Mark Rick was going to do with Bryce Ramsey and Faton Bauda and Grayson Lambert. I mean, I don't know how much of a competition it was. It wasn't the best talents in the world, but – that was no. kind of like this, where it was three players. That's that's been eight years. That's a that's a while since we've had this kind of situation. So this it's going to be kind of fun to watch how these guys battle it out, won't it? Oh, definitely. And and the biggest thing is how much do you hear the breadcrumbs of the younger two, you know, impressing or looking good or yeah, you know, if that. You know the elusiveness or the mobility of the younger two resonating with the team. Like it'll be interesting to hear the breadcrumbs from all the, the the talk around camp. No question, no question. Brent Rollins, our guest, UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus. All right, let, let's um, let's talk a bit about the Falcons now. And I know you know what's going on with them. You know their situation. You know their cap room. Uh, you, you've seen some of the names that have been linked to them. You know some of the, the bigger name free agents that are out there. If Brent Rollins were in charge of this franchise, how would you allocate the money that they have under the cap to improve this roster? I, I do think whatever you're going to need one or two edge guys in addition to whatever it is that you do in the draft. And, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, that sort of mold where you can – and. I, the beautiful part about the cap situation that they're in is I think they're in a great spot to go and give big money contracts for like two years. You know, hey, come here on a two-year, $30 million deal, two years and 40, or, you know, in certain positions. Mm-hmm. And being able to sort of reset that cap consistently, I, I honestly think because of the way the cap itself is just increasing year over year, it allows for you to – Especially with where they are with the quarterback, with what they have to, with what they're paying a quarterback. If it, if it is Desmond and you know maybe somebody that they draft and they're rolling with Desmond Ritter, like they just have 
ample amounts of space to do what they want to. So to me, it's if you have to go a little bit, and you're going to overpay in free agency. That's the thing. You're just going to overpay, but just don't do it on four-year deals. Don't do it on five-year deals. Go, go, just you know, if you got to pay three or four million dollars extra on a two-year deal, do it. Do they need a? You mentioned uh, Yannick. Um, who has bounced around? It's ridiculous how how much he's bounced around for some reason. He was with Jacksonville, and he's been all over the damn place. Uh, he's 28. Do you think they need that veteran to come in? I, I said the other day, you may have seen it on Twitter, uh, that that I thought they needed to do what the Falcons did about 25 years ago when they brought in Cornelius Bennett, who had had a great run eight years or so with Buffalo and uh, was still very effective when he got to Atlanta. He was just an, an older player. Do you think combining that type of player with Grady Jarrett would help? Oh, yeah. I mean, like Hargrave. Hargrave is, I think, 30. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's some, like, and go big. Go big for two-year two year deal, one two-year deal with that. As long as the, and if the player accepts it, boom. I, I think they should go with that. Uh, the other thing that will be interesting for free agents with, see with me with them is do they – Add some form of depth at the receiver position, because to me this is not this is a solid draft for receivers in the middle rounds, but not there's just not the depth at the position. So do you go and add uh, depth at that position in free agency? Speaking of of receivers, uh, we we were talking a little bit about Darnell Washington, and I wanted to ask you obviously about your thoughts of what Darnell did in Indianapolis, which uh, it's a it was unbelievable to watch him. Well, not very unbelievable because we've seen him for the last three years. Would with the Falcons or the Jaguars with Evan Ingram or or Kelsey in Kansas City, San Francisco with Kittle, would it almost be better for a team that has a good tight end already to draft Darnell Washington to try to almost copy what has been done in in Athens the last two years? Would that be a a good thing for a team to do in your opinion? One thousand percent. If you look at the teams, I think I put it on Twitter the other day. There's like five or six teams that are in the top ten in terms of already, already in the mm-hmm. top ten in terms of twelve personnel usage. So two tight ends on the field. That that can only enhance that package. And you mentioned Kittle and and what Shanahan does there. He uses the you know use check a lot in that role as well. But you give Shanahan somebody like that. The stuff he's going to be able to do, like that offense already, it's just it becomes even more of a nightmare. Now they they have so many playmakers, but Kansas City to me, I really think that's a spot for Darnell at 31 that he can be just enhance what it is that they do because Kelsey in a way functions as a slot receiver for them already. So you know, knowing that they don't necessarily have the deep ball with Tyreek not there and that they didn't really function that way, maybe to balance them out, themselves out a little more. Kansas yeah. City is a very intriguing option for Darnell for me. So if if you're Terry Fontenot, do you try to get into the 20s? Do you try to trade up? Or or, or would you consider him an 8? Uh, definitely not an 8. Like the, the value, you, you can't – that's a non-premium position. At 8, yeah. you have to draft premium position. Edge, tackle, corner. Like if you're, or you know, a quarterback, like those, one of those four spots at eight is where it has to be, just because of the value that that position that high in the draft. Yeah. Uh, it, at forty, I think it's forty-four is the next one the Falcon have, yeah. Falcons have. Mm-hmm. Like, 
there's a like don't forget that as much as we talk about Darnell and we we love what Darnell does, like it's tight end is just not viewed that way. Now I think because you're going to have such a run on corners, I think you could actually see him push down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know I I don't think he's making it to 44. But I wouldn't trade up at all. Like to me, if anything, I'm I'm moving back from eight if the person that I want or is not there at eight. Well, and I, I I don't wouldn't be opposed to that because I think they could get maybe two good players uh, from you know twelve to thirty two, uh, and if they did move down a lot, they 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 haven't done that a whole lot in their history. I mean, Fontenot's only been there two years, but but I, I definitely understand what what you're saying there. Um, I, I just think he's going to be fun to watch to see how how teams look at him, especially after what he did in Indianapolis the other day, Brent, because that was he put on a show. Yeah, and I think the only, the thing if he ends up in the 40s and he's around where the fa- available at 44, I think probably the issue there would be the fact that he's missed part of the two the first two years yeah. with the foot issues. Like that might get it to where teams are like, okay, I'm not going to spend a first-round pick on a guy who has had one of three seasons where he's been completely healthy. Right, right. Brent this Rollins. Side is an issue already. Sure, sure. Brent Rollins, our guest, UGASports.com, pro football focus. So um, we we know A.J. Terrell has established himself in, on, on the – Falcons uh, defense, we know that Grady Jarrett is up front there. They seem to be somewhat happy with their linebackers if they can get uh, uh, the Rashawn Jones kid back. So uh, you, you mentioned Edge, and I, I think uh, even with Lorenzo Carter coming back, and, and you know, we, we've seen mock drafts where, uh, heck, we saw one yesterday, Nolan Smith even at number eight. Um, and and I, we've already come to the conclusion they're going to sign that Bates kid for, for safety. But but what would be better in your opinion for this defense? A compliment to to Terrell there at corner or or just keep on getting some kind of pass rush there up front? I I tend to lean corner in those instances when you mm-hmm. don't have a a guy that you know is going to consistently win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there's not a Chase Young, you know, or a Bosa that that's just head and shoulders a, a better than everyone. There, there's there's a lot of edges in this class. It's a very deep edge class, but it's not the guy that is just sort of head and shoulders. Hey, this is a definitive top ten pick, no matter what. Even Nolan, Nolan to me is going to be more of a hybrid outside backer edge type guy that's going to play in certain defenses and fit in certain defenses more so than maybe what the Falcons do. The thing with the Falcons and the new defensive coordinator, they with historically with the Saints, they want bigger edges. You know, they want, you know, Cam Jordan, Davenport, all these guys, those are 6'5", 280, 6'5", 270, bigger edges. So, you know, Wilson from Texas Tech kind of fits that mold, mm-hmm. but he's only sort of been measured at the combine. It didn't really necessarily work out, and I think he could definitely be there and, and possibly be the pick at eight. But I tend to lean corner just because, to me, you can never have too many corners. Not in today's NFL and you can hopefully scheme pass rush. You can't like if you have corners that can't cover, you're going to get eaten alive very quickly. No matter how great your pass rush is, because offenses will find that weak corner and figure out a way to get that person on an island and attack very quickly. Do you like the kid from Oregon? Then he's one, yes, very much so. 
Uh, he's a little bit, uh, depending upon how much, and one thing I don't know from the, the Saints' perspective, how much sort of true man versus more zone concepts that they, they do. I think they're more of, of a man team, and Gonzalez kind of fits that mold. Witherspoon mm-hmm. from Illinois fits that mold more so. Uh, Porter, to me, Porter. Jimmy Porter from Penn State, he's more going to be like a Seahawks cover three, his own corner. I think Keeley's going to be one who, in the NFL, fits that mold a little more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would probably think that Gonzalez is the one that would be picked if he was the one at eight, yes. So if you had Christian Gonzalez on the board or if you had your choice of Broderick Jones and uh, Peter Skoronsky or Paris, I think Paris is dropping a little bit, but let, let's just say Skoronsky or Broderick or the corner, which one would you – prefer there at eight for Atlanta? Uh, tackle. Okay. I, I think, and the reason I say that is because of no matter what you do at QB, you need to help your QB. Right. And if it is if it is going to be Desmond Ritter, I, I you need to give him as many resources as possible. You know, given the fact that they didn't tag McGarry, potentially is he potentially if he goes, you know, if he's out the door, then I, I think it's definitely I would prefer the tackle at eight. Uh, more so than the corner. Do you think Broderick at eight would be good? Yes, I do. I very much do. And and sadly, a lot of it was just based on how he measured at the combine. Yeah. Georgia had him listed at six four, and then he measures at six five and like almost a half. Like now you're talking about prototypical size. You know, when you're six four, someone might say, "Hey, we need to move you in a guard." In the guard, it's kind of why that conversation happens around Skaronski because of. Mm-hmm. Height, height and arm length, but Broderick passed all, checked all those boxes, and he's already a freak of an athlete. So, and also, and he's he's played left tackle, thus can be that eventual guy that maybe you know, plugs and plays two, three years, three years down the road if, when Jake moves on. See, again, that's just going to be so interesting to me of how they juggle free agency and the draft because Brent, uh, I, I mean, they, they need a guard. Elijah Wilkinson is not, I don't think, the answer at that left guard spot. They've got the right guard, obviously, with Lindstrom. They seem to be okay with Dahlman, but the uncertainty about McGarry and the, the knowledge that they've got to have a guard, I mean, that's what makes me wonder kind of about Skaronsky, uh, even if they were to get a free agent like a McGlinchey or an Orlando Brown next week in free agency, they're still going to need another one. And uh, and then you wonder, you know, how much they think. What what's the shelf life for Jake Matthews at this point? Yeah, I think you're gonna uh, the draft and the depth of the draft. The depth of the draft this year is edge and and corner primarily, mm-hmm. and then you know the QBs just is at the top. But running backs, great depth at running back in this class. Uh, but it's a little bit of tackle, but not great after the first three or four. Uh-huh. So it's. I think how they view how they attack free agency will also. It they just go hand in hand, and if they go, I think they're going to go defense heavy in free agency, and offense heavy in the draft, particularly. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. I agree. I mean, and look, if they get Javon Hargrave or even the Davenport kid from New Orleans to go up front, and Jesse Bates in free agency to help that secondary, and then can decide between those offensive linemen, Skronsky or, or Broderick in the first round. I mean, that, that that's adding a lot of talent in the areas they needed, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's, and I think maybe we've talked about it before, but 
you know, if you're going to have to spend a lot of money and your cap's going to be allocated in certain, you know, these certain years, these next couple years, go spend money on the side of the ball where you need to find players who are going to come in and not be replacements that you know what you're getting. You yeah. kind of the way get know what you're getting and let the growth happen where you have youth, which is on offense. Right, right. Well, and, and do you agree that pairing a veteran with Grady Jarrett up front, regardless of what Nielsen decides to do, could be very valuable to this team? I mean, pairing anything with Grady Jarrett. Because <laughs> can we team anybody who's made plays beside of Grady in the past five years? I don't know that we can. I know. I mean, that, and, and, you know, I, I still think that when he kind of lost it there at the end of the year, when he said he was sick of the losing, he was it was almost a cry for help, Brent. He needs help up there because he just gets double teamed so damn much. Yeah, and, and this is the guy who, you know, talk about the how the team has gone, and then his performance hasn't really dipped much. Yeah. Like, it's very minimal, and he's well. still giving you big-time effort and big-time production. Absolutely, no doubt. I, I just, you know, D. Orlando Ledbetter mentioned Hargrove today. That excited the hell out of me because we all saw what he did with Philadelphia, leading them to the Super Bowl, and, and the thought of that kind of player who who uh, had 11 sacks to go with Grady Jarrett up front. I mean, that you know, that, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what we were talking about with, okay, what if Jalen Carter was there or somehow the Falcons, you know, last week when we talked to you, of course, it, it was if they would move up and now – possibility exists of course because of the situation of Jalen being there who knows but just that kind of think, presence that kind of uh, physicality up front with Grady Jarrett is hard to hard to ignore and hard to not be tempted by yeah you got I mean you just got to get better you got to get better at every level on your defense and I think that's that's you got the money goes put the known quantities into that unless you want to go offensive line because you're losing one yep yep Great stuff, Brent Rollins. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. We will, uh, boy, it'll be a fun time next Wednesday at 4 o'clock. We we may be watching Twitter and interrupting our questions to see what the heck happens. Should be fun, though. Thank you, Brent. You're very welcome. Take it easy, Bill. All right, Brent Rollins, great stuff from him. At Brent Rollins, Ph.D., he has great tweets, and I uh, really encourage you to follow him on Twitter and, of course, ugasports.org com as well we're with good stuff uh, we're going to open up the phone lines 478-646-ESPN 646-3776 uh, and Russ and I will will talk as we go along here about some of the things Brent had to say as far as kind of examining the strategy that Terry Fontenot and the Falcons may be taking with excuse me with uh, with what uh, free agency and the draft may have to offer this team to improve this roster. 478-646-ESPN, we'd love to hear from you. We are back with more sports talk on this Wednesday right after this. Four twenty-seven, our time. Bill and Russ here on the show. Thank you very much for being with us. Let's grab a quick phone call here as we get to – about halfway past the hour. Ken and Macon. Hello, Killer. How you doing? I'm good, Killer. I want to I tell you something first about the Atlanta Braves and then the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. First thing about the Atlanta Braves, A.J. Minner, for example, he tries to be, to me, the way I see him every time he pitches field, I think he tries to be like a Craig Kimmel wannabe. 
but he's not Craig Kimball. He's only A.J. Minner, and he needs to pitch like A.J. Minner because that's why he gets in trouble. Well, I I think A.J., uh, you know, when he got sent down to AAA a couple years ago when he started really slow, uh, he figured some things out. Now, like I was talking about earlier, Killer, he he's getting ready to be challenged a little bit because of this time clock issue. He does not pitch fast. So, according to Mark Bowman, to try to get more in rhythm and try to get to where he can um, – pitch with that time clock he's going to try to pitch out of the the wind up with no one on base that that's going to be a challenge for him so uh look i i think in the last year and a half season and a half he has done very well in trying to uh get past those issues he had and he was a dominant relief pitcher so i you know look i feel confident about him but as i said earlier killer we got to see how that change in his delivery is going to impact him this year yeah one more thing about Bray. That Spencer Strider, when he got hurt in pitched in the playoffs, I just feel like he needs to learn. If somebody can teach that guy the knuckleball when he has problems like that, that would be another pitch in his pressure huh. draw, and that would make him even better and more dangerous if he ever can learn the knuckleball along Ooh. with what he knows now. That would make him awesome. I mean, uh, that, that would be something if he flowed that knuckleball out, out there. It's, a, it's crazy there's not much of a – presence of a knuckleball pitcher here and there anymore but uh i i think he's gonna be fine killer he's he's uh he's got some unbelievable stuff as long as he stays healthy i think we're going to be good with him all right what about the falcons but the Atlanta falcons i believe that if they they want to take a chance against Jalen carter they need that fast rush field because always always in the third or fourth quarter especially fourth quarter the Atlanta falcons get burned if they had an awesome pass rush, that would help that secondary out even more. So they need Jalen Carter because he's awesome at that. That's what they need. They need to take a chance to get that guy. I can't yeah. help, but that's what I believe. No, I, 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 I appreciate that, Killer. I mean, look, again, the um, the strategy that they use, Russ. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. And Brent was talking about a little bit there and, and his belief that they should go with defense with free agency and more of the draft. I mean, obviously they could, they could make some moves to where the Jalen Carter situation would be a moot point, right? If they were to sign Hargrove, for example, uh, then they would not need uh, Jalen Carter and would, would pass on him. So, um, I'm sure they're probably right now in Flowery Branch discussing this, right? Which, which direction we go? Because when you have a situation like this where you have a high draft pick and you have a lot of cap room, you you got to kind of pick a pick a lane to stay in with each side and and go at it. And I I, I can't wait to see what they do. Yeah, I think you know uh, again the interior guys in free agency are going to be cheaper than the edge guys. So you know to to try to be. I guess conservative with your your cap space. Do you do you sign the veteran D tackles in free agency and try to pick up your edge rushers in the draft? And, and that's the other thing too. When we're talking about this draft, that we got to keep in the back of our heads, they will have gone through free agency by the time we get to the draft. So I yeah. think it'll be crystal clear what they want to do in the draft when we get there. Oh yeah. Well, look. I mean, they signed or signed Orlando Brown. I don't think Broderick Jones is as much of a possibility. 
or Peter Scron- well, Peter Skronsky might be because of his versatility, right, yeah. Russ? That, he 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 still does. He's kind of a wild card that that uh, is interesting because yeah. to me, all right, let's say they signed Orlando Brown. Skronsky's still got to be on the table because you could put him in that left guard spot and then see how he does there. And look, he he may be great. He may be wow. That, and that, I know that's a high spot for a guard at number eight by all means high spot spot for a guard, but then you'd have the ability to perhaps move him out to tackle if you thought the next two years that Jake Matthews needed to go. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a wild card with Skaronsky because of his versatility. But, you know, if if you, like I said, if you got Hargrave, you wouldn't need Jalen Carter. Right. And with Skaronsky, I mean, you could, he could play center and you could kick Dalman back out to guard. That's what makes him yeah. so intriguing is that versatility. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't think you can totally rule him out because of that versatility. He, he makes it very, very interesting. Eddie, formerly of Macon. Hey, well, Eddie, formerly of Macon, watched the draft with us one time, and when they drafted Desmond Trufant, you and I said nasty words. No, when they drafted Robert Alford, we said nasty <laughs> words. <laughs> we, could, we couldn't believe it was two in a row, two DBs in a row, could we? Yeah, the Alford, the Alford one. We were sitting out there in front of um, what was name, that place over CJ's? Yeah, BJ's. Eating us yeah. some refried wings and drinking milk. Yeah, we was drinking. I, I drank two gallons of milk that day. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, when, when they come out there and said Alford, we were stunned. But, uh, you know, it's like Russ said, they falconed it up. And I sit here, I watch them, Bill. I've been watching them draft ever since to, to Tommy Nobis. And and that was a long time ago. And they still ain't figured it out. I mean, last year they blew my mind when they pulled that stunt with Schaefer over Sawyer. Mm. You, you know, mm. disregarding game tape to that extent is just, just idiot, idiots. But this year, I'm telling you, Bill, if Broderick Jones is there at number eight, which he probably should be, he's, he's this is going to be just like the Taylor Lewan Jake Matthews thing years ago. I told you they should have took Taylor Lewan. They took Jake Matthews. They 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 didn't like Taylor Lewan because he'd gotten a bar fight at Michigan. Well, damn, that's the kind of player I want. I want him one step away from jail, you know. I'm, I mean, <laughs> blow his ain't in there, you know. That's and but if if they pass up Broderick Jones, because in my opinion, Broderick Jones, he's about the best left tackle I've ever seen in Athens. I think he's got the most upside. He's a really yeah. young kid, and and I think he's going to be the best lineman. And you talking about taking this kid out of Northwestern, when are they going to start looking at the competition these kids played in college, determining how good they are? Because I'd rather take a kid that played on a national championship team two straight years and somebody played for Northwestern and spent half the season playing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm with you, but you, but again, the, the versatility of Skaronsky is what we're talking about there. I mean, he evidently can play everywhere, and he, he's tackle guard and center, and that, that that is something I think could be really interesting because – they're going to have to make their decision on on whether they want a a veteran offensive lineman. Do they want Orlando Brown? Do they want you know? I mean, do they want to bring in um, Isaiah Wins out there? I mean, what what if they have a man crush on Isaiah Wynn? And I guess in a way, they've got to make some decisions now, Eddie. On again, the the, the ability to have cap room and a high draft pick, not only in the first round but the second round too. It is very interesting because they've, they've got to make a decision here. I mean, for example, do they value a 
veteran tackle like an Isaiah Wynn or someone of that nature compared to the potential of Broderick Jones? Well, I think Broderick Jones, in my opinion, I, I think he could be just a cornerstone for this team. They could already have one from last year if they wasn't so stupid. But, but and, along those lines of what we were talking about with Brent Rollins, wouldn't you prefer to have a veteran next to Grady Jarrett on the defensive line and then go young with the offensive line like we're talking about? I, I, I agree with what he said. I think they ought to go defense, free agent, offense, draft. Yeah. And 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 I'm telling you, Broderick Jones, he, dude, he, he he's gonna he's gonna be a good one. Heck, we ought to go out and get Isaiah Wynn. Let's get let's get kids from, you know, when you when you draft champions, then maybe you might get a champion. You know, <laughs> and and I mean, it's, it's time for them to start start drafting from from some 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 champions. It's just. I Bill, I've watched these Falcons draft. I'm serious since Tommy Nobis, and he was the first one. And they have blown my mind so many times. I ain't got much much mind left, you know. No, I'm with you. Look, I I, I sat at Glory Days last year, one of our great sponsors in Macon, and me and my buddies were watching the draft. And Russ, Russ, you were there, weren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. And we, we were in shock at Drake London. Now, I I think we believe Drake London was a good player. I don't know if Russ and I thought that he was the best wide receiver in the draft, but after them taking Kyle Pitts the year before, Russ, we didn't think Drake London was going to be the pick at number eight. It was eight last year, wasn't it, I yeah. believe? Yeah, it was eight because they already had a target. You know, they already yeah. had a, a – so that was that was a shock. I mean, he, he's a good player, but I just – I think they could have made a better pick there. Yeah. Well. So I mean, you're right, Eddie. We we've been through this time and time again. It's it's like you know that's why I'm excited in the way the free agency is is next week because, like we were talking about in, earlier in this segment, we should know by the time free agency's over who they're going to need and target. I mean, we 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 should limit it down a little bit of what that number eight pick's going to be, and and what they could be looking for. I mean, if they don't sign a, a veteran offensive lineman next week. Then I think we're going to know Broderick Jones is a definite possibility. Yeah, and no, I, 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 I agree with you there. But, but they, I'm, I mean, how how these teams don't see the importance of just a, trying to put the best offensive line out there you possibly can, and how that translates to winning football. You, you know, I, I just don't know how they ain't, they ain't seen it. I mean, this is the team that took Vic Beasley over Todd Gurley. Todd <laughs> Gurley could have sold seats, you know. They would have been. And But in that first game that year, Todd Gurley just totally destroyed Vic Beasley at Sanford State and probably one of the greatest performances Todd Gurley ever had in his career in a single game. That season opening game against Clemson that, that year, you know, when, when yeah. Beasley was senior – it was Gurley's last year, but yeah. but one thing you can count on the Falcons because last year when they took Drake in London, I said holy cow, you know, and and in the NFL I think you build your team through the draft and you yeah. supplement it with free agency, and and it's like Demetrius gone and we, you, you know we we thought things would go get better where well, they they hadn't got as better as quick as I thought they might get you know. Well, it, it, it because I think we still wanted some offensive linemen. You know, we we I, I think two years ago, I, and I agreed with Russ that at four was was Kyle Pitts the best player available. Yeah, I think he was. But I think Penny Sewell 
uh, who went to Detroit, what, at seven maybe, Russ, perhaps? Six yeah, or seven. I think six or seven, yeah. Um, I think Penny Sewell would have been a great offensive lineman for, for this team. And I think even then, two years ago, you knew that the Matt Ryan era was coming to a head where you, you – that, that's when you needed to start working on your line so that whenever – Matt Ryan's replacement came in, whether it was Mariota or a young player like Desmond Ritter, he wouldn't be behind Elijah Wilkinson or, you know, a player like Caleb McGarry who had quite – I mean, Caleb McGarry obviously made some improvements this year, but I I want someone who's going to be more reliable for both parts of the game of offensive linemen, pass protection and run pro. And I don't think McGarry does that. So anyway, we'll we'll see, Eddie. But I, you're with us. You you know you've been it, been through it. We hold our breath every time the Falcons do anything because you never know. Hey, Eddie, thank you very much. Always good to hear from you. We're going to take a break right now. We got one on hold. Three lines open: four seven eight six four six ESPN six four six three seven seven six. We'll take a break and be back with more sports talk on this Wednesday afternoon right after this. Georgia Sports Talk on 93.1 and 98.3, the Superstations. Welcome back. Quarter till five, our time. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Let's get back to the phones. Mark in Waycross, who is in Northport, watched the Braves today, didn't you? Yes, we did, and we watched the Braves play the Dominican Republic team in the World Baseball Classic. Sound like the and Dominicans had a all-star team out on the field. They did. They it, it really wasn't fair. Uh, you know, when the Dominicans are running up Manny Machado and Robinson Cano uh, against these poor young men against the Braves, it it got ugly pretty quick. Uh, the the Dodd kids pitched well, first couple of innings, uh, had good stuff. Second time through the lineup, it was like bombs away. And uh, it, 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 if I think the final score is nine nothing, yeah. If we were talking to some of the guys behind us, it was like they were playing their ones. We were fours, so uh, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, we want these fours to get playing time and get experience. Uh, that Dominican team is trying to win the World Baseball Classic. They sure. Got the team. Well, hey, and, how uh, did A.J. Minter look uh, pitching out of the windup? He, he's never done that very much before. Um, did you notice that? I, no, I didn't even notice that, to be honest with you, Bill. That, they they said on Twitter that he was winding up, which has been something he's never done before, but he's doing it to try to – uh, trying to deal with the pitch clock, although they didn't have the pitch clock today. That's why the game lasted longer, right? And they let them shift because they're playing those world baseball rules, not yeah. major league baseball rules. So they shifted and did all that, my mojumbo. Barbara said she thought men are plunk somebody. <laughs> did he? So, yeah, so so that that was interesting. But the main reason I'll call uh, to tell you, if anybody – it's the opportunity to go down, come down here. I mean, the facility is just beautiful. It is really nice. Tons of parking, easy to get in and out. Um, it, it's just a beautiful facility for fat guys like me. Lots of different types of food. <laughs> so, uh, really, really good time. And 
go to a couple of games and you know we're sitting there today about 85 degrees we were actually in the shade on a beautiful sunny day and i, and I talk, learned to talk to barbara and said and it's not much you can't get things much better than this and oh, yeah. uh, so no, it's really trying. really a good time um sure. i wanted to mention one other thing about the gentleman who just called yeah um i thought he made an excellent point they they ought to take into consideration the falcons drafting champions when you draft champions even though they're in the ncaa they know how to win and they've won and they expect to win and i I think that makes a difference i I think that really does they ought to look at that but unfortunately now bill you may be mad at me i'm sorry but as long as Arthur Blanks, the owner of the Falcons, this is what we're getting: middle of the road, five hundred. Well, I I hope not. I I'm I'm with you. I I I'm skeptical of him as well. I I never know what to expect from Arthur Blank and the Falcons, or to know who's in charge by any means. But uh, you, you, I want to get back to your point real quick about the Brazen Spring training. I'm heading down there in two weeks, Mark, and I'm. I'm looking forward to it because I didn't go last year. I didn't go the year before because of COVID. And in 2020, I was actually down there early, like in late February, and got back to Macon like maybe 3rd or 4th of March, and then was going back on March 15th. And the pandemic kind of squashed the trip back down there because I was really looking forward to going back down there and, and enjoying even more of the of the complex because that was the first year they were open and i didn't really get to see the minor leaguers because they got there like on the 10th of the full minor league uh contingent of players and uh, my trip got squashed so i'm i'm really looking forward to it because it there's no doubt new nice it was not disney it was it was a great great spot they they had done a great job on getting that thing ready for brace fans and then of course this is the first year where it's been 100 percent back to normal yeah, and and the fields that you're talking about, where you can see the minor league players, are just right there. I mean, yeah. right over the right field uh, bleacher, and they have a big stand there. Um, if they're right there, I mean, you, and you can just walk up and watch them play, watch them hit, and yeah. you can hear them talking to the kids and say, "Now." You need to step back in the box, or you need to do this, or blah blah blah, and that's so interesting to see and hear that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's really, and then turn around and walk back and watch the big boys play. And, and quite honestly, like you said, to be out of that Disney business, it, it's a baseball facility, and that's what it's made for, and it's as good as you can get. Oh yeah, no question. Uh, well, I'm glad th- you guys are down there. Y'all have a great time. Be careful, and, and we appreciate you checking in with us, Mark. Thank you. Okay, man. See ya. All right. Uh, good friend Mark uh, from Waycross, who uh, now lives in Forsyth, but he and his wife uh, down see a little spring training action, and and uh, good stuff for sure. It's um, I'm excited about going in a couple of weeks. Like I said, I had to kind of cancel my trip back in 2020, and didn't go in 21 or 2022, now ready to go back down there and looking forward to it for sure. Um, I wanted to mention that Georgia Tech has lost their game to Pitt this afternoon, 89-81. to 
played Pitt very, very tight uh, back and forth, and Pitt kind of um, about with five, six minutes left kind of separated themselves again from the Yellow Jackets. But the uh, Georgia Tech season ends, and now, of course, the question is what's going to happen with Josh Pastner? And, Russ, it doesn't sound like it's going to be an easy call for Ty Bad. It's 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 – it's uh, – I don't know what I would do, to be honest with you. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I think the, there's a couple things here. I mean, obviously they played really well down the stretch. Um, so, look, if you want to bring him back, I think you can justify it, and I don't think people would be upset by it. And, you know, the other thing about Josh Pashner, and this just kind of crossed my mind, you know, with the previous football coach, and, and you could throw Arthur Smith in, into this category too. Not not He doesn't act the same way Jeff Collins did, but he can be kind of grumpy – and short with the media, I think that shortens your lifespan, where in this case with Josh Pastner, I think his likability might help him because I don't think anybody really wants him to be fired because they like him so much. But, you know, it's just you're you're kind of at that crossroads where it's been seven years, so it, it, it might be time to move on. But I think his likability yeah. is going to help him here. Well, it might, and, and it may make Bat just say, well, I need to see more. Mm-hmm. I mean, not publicly, right, but at least privately say, well, I mean, look, their record wasn't good. They – struggled for most of the year they had a what nine game losing streak that's not good but you can't say they didn't play hard for this guy and and even till the very end i mean they played tough today right mm-hmm. a, a, against the pittsburgh team so um he, he, he may kind of uh, well of course they won't announce oh well he's coming back and not going to get fired that's not going to happen uh vince Dooley did that in 1995 with ray golf by pretty much saying he had to show significant improvement in 1995 and then he had all kind of people get hurt, and season was pretty much lost, and Ray had no chance of really surviving after that, especially after Coach Dooley had put that out there that he needed significant improvement, and then half the team got hurt. But anyway, I mean, it, it may not be any kind of public response or any kind of public statement. It may just be privately, okay, well, um, I'm, I'm not going to fire him. I'm just going to keep him and see more and see how they do next year. I mean, you may be delaying the inevitable, you you may be you know making the right call, but it's 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 not easy. It's not easy because Tech did play better down the stretch by far. It wasn't even close. All right, four seven eight six four six three seven seven six. That is our number. I'm in Waycross in Mesquite Heaven. There's mosquitoes all around here. It's crazy. I've forgotten how bad it can be in March. It's rough. Go get me some off. ESPN. Back with more phone calls and more sports talk here on The Bill Shanks Show.